No, no, no. She's not a medical doctor, but she can sure cure your tax problems or your financial woes. She's the how-to girl. It's the Dr. Friday Show. If you have a question for Dr. Friday, call her now, 737-WWTN. That's 737-9986. So here's your host, financial counselor and tax consultant, Dr. Friday. All right, I'm Dr. Friday, and the doctor is in the house. It's my favorite time of year, tax time. I'm probably one of the few people that actually enjoy this time of the year. Uh, But I actually brought a guest in, uh, Russ Cook and Associates, Russ Cook, not the associate part, is here. Hey, Russ. <laughs> Hello. How are you doing? <laughs> and for many of you that have been following my show for many years, you know he's an attorney at law right here in Brentwood, Tennessee, right around the corner from my office. Um, and so if you have questions, I mean, come on, it's free for the moment. Uh, trust me, it's not free when you walk in his office. Uh, <laughs> <Uh-oh>. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it is a great time to talk about, you know, if you've got, basically we're talking about estate planning, trust, wills. Who needs one? Who doesn't need one? Why would you think about having a trust when, gosh, what, we had like $11 million per person or something before the IRS uh, says it's taxable? So, you know, these are kind of questions. So, Russ, I'm going to start right out. You know, why would I need a trust if I have $11 million? I'm not worth $11 million. Just sharing <laughs> that right now. I am not worth $11 million. So, is there a reason? Well, there is. Um, basically, when we talk about estate planning, it's how we're going to get assets from your name to the people that you want to receive it when you pass away. And if you have a will, then that process that you have to go through is called probate. It's where you, your heirs hire an attorney, go down to courthouse, file the will, and then follow the process that the court dictates with respect to transferring your assets. Uh, what a lot of people like to do is avoid that process using what's called a revocable living trust. It's a way to avoid the probate process. It keeps how you're distributing your assets private because a will gets published at the courthouse so anybody can go down and read it. In fact, you can read Elvis's will if you want <laughs> to cool. send a notice to Shelby County or wherever it is. <laughs> and uh, that keeps everything close to the vest and lets your family kind of help out with the transition of assets that you're passing out, bringing in third parties. So, yes, trusts are important in estate planning, even if you don't have more than $11 million. There you go. So um, we're going to catch a phone call real quick. Larry's called in. Hey, Larry, thanks for calling. Hey, uh, I have a vehicle that is uh, it's it's used for my business, and it has been fully depreciated. Um, I'm closing the business and in the process of starting a new business all at the same time. How can that vehicle be moved from one business to the other? You would have to sell it? At the value of the current value. So you would have to buy it from yourself in essence. Okay. And you'd have to do some recapture of depreciation theoretically. So let's just say that it's worth $1,000 if you were to go sell it to CarMax. I'm just using an example. So you would actually recapture the depreciation of $1,000 or whatever, and then it would become an asset on the other side for $1,000. So you would actually have to pick up the – income of a thousand dollars on that sale so that it would have a value again on the new business for a thousand dollars okay so just in the in the uh, it would just be the same as if i was buying or selling from anybody else it has no Precisely. difference that it's 
it's it's both both businesses are my name. No, and, it would make it make no difference. DBA. I mean, I'm sure there's some that would probably tell you that you could probably just do a transfer, but I don't usually do that because if we're ever audited, they're going to want to see that you actually closed the company, and to close the company, you have to sell or remove all the assets. Get the, get so the assets. you know, you need to get the asset out of the one company into the other company. Okay, so as far as into the new business, uh, I can I can. I can completely. I can take the complete depreciation of the vehicle's cost under one seventy nine. You might be able to. Is it a? I mean, yeah. you know, if it's the right type of vehicles, yes. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. No problem. Thanks. All right. So we were talking, and then here's a big question. So let's say I don't have because you mentioned a will and all that. What if I don't have a will? What happens? Well, that's probably the worst of all worlds because the state of Tennessee has a will for you. And it's not the one you want, I assure you. It's uh, based in the Tennessee Code, and it says that if you're married, your wife does get everything. But if you have kids, then your wife ends up splitting your stuff with your kids. And if you have minor kids, then your wife has to go down to court to get herself appointed guardian in order to inherit the assets that the kids are getting. So you really don't want to rely on the Tennessee will to manage your assets when you pass. (laughs) It's not going to do well. Didn't didn't sound like a good thing because no. many of my friends, it's not even just that, but you you might actually have multiple wives, ex wives, and multiple children from you know. I mean, that sounds like that's going to be a problem no matter how you look at that. Yes, and very <laughs> expensive too because the attorneys' fees involved in handling an intestate estate are usually the highest because we're dealing with all these different factions. Yeah. So, and that's that's what I think. Uh, I have a trust, and I think that's what I like best about the trust is not so much the cost of about the fact that whatever I want, theoretically, as long as it's legal, it is going to go the direction I want it to go without having to go through the courts, without having to list all the assets, without having to tell people what's going on. It just stays like in this little briefcase that I just kind of hand out the papers. That's right. And in fact, to dovetail on one of the questions that the caller had about depreciated assets, Mm -hmm. one thing that you get the benefit of in Tennessee is if you're a married couple, you can create what's called a community property trust. And what that does, it's a joint revocable trust between husband and wife. And if you put your assets in it at the first death, the death of the first spouse, all those assets get a full step up in cost basis. So any asset that you own that may have been appreciated over a period of time, if it's in the trust and husband dies or wife dies, then you get to reset that cost basis at the date of death value. So it's a good benefit to us. That's a wonderful benefit. Yeah. Yeah. I love the step up in basis. I didn't even think about that. But that is a great benefit because, you know, I mean, let's be honest. Sometimes, well, if you don't, if you, okay, let's make an example. If you don't have a trust and one passes away and then through the will, maybe just everything goes to you. The step of basin doesn't apply in that case, or does it? it? It would to the assets that the decedent owned or had a half interest in. What the community property trust does is it gives us a step up in cost basis on what would have been the survivor's share as well. 
So that's where you get the benefit. So you don't normally only get it the person that passed away, but this way you get a full step up in basis at the time. Ah, see, there you go. That's why I like Russ. He's always (laughs) teaching me something. I don't know how many years we've known each other, but a long time. So he's always been teaching. It's a great thing for me. All right, if you want to join the show, maybe you've got a question about estates. Maybe you've inherited something and you're not exactly sure how it's supposed to be processed or you're um, the executor of 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 a well or of an estate and you're like, oh, my gosh, what am I supposed to be doing? This is the time to seriously pick up the phone. You will get direction at least which way to go, what you need to do, maybe the the steps that need to be taken because you do have responsibilities and you need to know what those are. You can reach us 615-737-9986, So if somebody doesn't really, they're sitting here saying, you know what, I don't have anything. So it doesn't really make a difference. Is there a minimum that maybe applies if somebody has an estate that is really worth less than a hundred, hundred and fifty, whatever. What is the is there a minimum? Yeah, the Tennessee government gives us a small estate procedure, which is basically an abbreviated probate for any estate that's less than fifty thousand dollars. Also, the Tennessee code says that if you don't have an estate other than real estate, they'll let you pass that by operational law to the heirs. I know a lot of folks don't really want to rely on that to pass their assets, but those options are available. Uh, one thing that I would suggest, though, even if you go in saying, hey, I don't really have a whole lot. Why should I worry about it? There are other documents that you'll want to have, power of attorney for financial matters, power of attorney for healthcare matters and a living will and possibly an advanced directive. Those are documents that take effect when you sign them and appoint people to make decisions for you when you become incapacitated. And one thing you don't want to do is go through a conservatorship if you do become incapacitated. These documents will prevent that from happening if well-drafted. And and also I'm thinking young couples because a lot of times – as you get older, you maybe think, oh, well, I have something, so now maybe I need to go talk to someone like us because, well, we're not invincible and eventually we'll have. But, you know, you have children or something, right? I mean, I'm assuming these documents would help along those lines as well. Oh, yeah, for sure. The The problem we run into when we have a, uh, let's say, a husband and wife, there's uh, a death in the family the assets are not necessarily going in a direction they need to go in, especially if they're going to kids. They may end up going outright. People might have gone through the assumption that, oh, I'll just name Uncle Bob as the person to receive my insurance and then Uncle Bob will take care of the kids. <laughs> There's no legal requirements for him to do any of that stuff. Plus, if Uncle Bob gets sued, there goes the money. Also, you want to make sure that you have guardians in place because that's one thing that the families will fight over is who is going to be appointed guardian for the kids. And you really want to not have that drama. Of course, if you're gone, you really might not care. But the kids. But the kids are going to care. (laughs) Mom and dad really made a mess of my life. (laughs) Wish they had set all this stuff up in advance. So you certainly at least need some document, a will at least, that kind of goes through these assets these issues and and makes those uh, direction designations. Right. So, and I'm assuming you brought up uh, life insurance. I'm just curious. So I'm a young person. I have a couple children. I'm married. Obviously, normally you're going to leave them to each other, the husband and wife. God forbid something happens to both of them. The life insurance, is it, can it be left to minor children or does it have to be, I mean, to an adult? Well, You want to make sure that the life insurance will go in the right place. I see people name it to an adult they think will be the guardian. 
and then there's no uh, protections. Well, like lawsuits, yeah, anything lawsuits, else could happen. whatever. Back uh, taxes. Exactly. It, you can have it go to the child, but then it will go to the guardian until the child turns age 18, and then the child will get a big, huge, fat check at Not 18. Not a good idea. Not a good idea. So we usually create inside our will or revocable trust for a child some sort of child's trust and a, a trust that's there to make sure that these assets are taken care of. There's someone that's appointed trustee to be in charge of those assets, and their job is to make sure these assets are uh, invested and distributed in a proper way. And maybe when the child gets a little bit older, then you can say the child can start getting portions of it or all of it outright. But it's always there for their health, education, support. Would you have um, multiple people? I mean, in normal cases, is it advisable to have possibly the guardian and then someone else that maybe is in charge of joint like finance you know that so the guardian isn't doing everything so there is somebody actually checking in yeah that is a good idea because when you have two different people you have a check and balance there if the guardian is also the trustee then there really isn't anyone to police the quote money Mm -hmm. except the minor kids who are represented by the guardian (laughs) so you got a circular relationship there but if it's somebody different then that necessarily will add a check in it because the guardian has to make sure they're spending the money right. The trustee can hold the guardian accountable for that. And then the guardian can hold the trustee accountable for any investment decisions that the, the, the trustee makes. Now, the guardian does have to appoint, uh, to does have to account to the court once a year, but I assure you there's nothing in that that's going to help protect those assets. Yeah, so I figured, I mean, they, they're not experts. All right, yeah. let's get Aaron, then we'll take a quick break. Hey, Aaron. Hey, Dr. Friday. Hey. <laughs> I, I'd like to say some words of wisdom to anybody who's out there thinking about, um, like, just like you said, about giving money to kids who are 18 years of age. Mm-hmm. I was 18, and I blew $32,000 within 60 days. Yeah. um, When my dad died, he gave money to both of my kids. Both are very responsible, Mm -hmm. but you go from zero to money, and you want to go through it and blow it. So anyone out there, if you need to talk to these guys, do it. By all means. Thank you, Aaron. I do appreciate that. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, we'll take a really quick break. When we come back, we'll continue taking your calls. You can join us here, 615-737-9986, All right, we are back live in studio for some reason. Headset's not working, so I can't hear anything. Not too sure if it's me. All right, Russ, can you hear something? Uh, I can hear you across the table. Because <laughs> you're loud anyways. <laughs> loud and proud. I'm, uh, I, broke, uh, I broke my headset, I think. Um, all right, well, we are live here in the studio. So if you uh, want to, we're going to, in a second here, uh, go ahead and take some more calls. But I can't really hear a call if I don't have a headset that works. So, uh, Russ, why don't you tell everyone how to get a hold of you in your office? Oh, thank you. Uh, Russ Cook again. The phone number is 615-370-2444. 
615-370-2444. And we have a website at uh, russcookpc.com. Good job. So. And now we're back in business. See? Look at that teamwork. That's because we've done that for a while. All right. Let's go to the phone lines. We have got uh, Bob first and then Jim. Hey, Bob. Hi, uh, Dr. Friday and Russ. Uh, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, I have two quick questions. Um, my mother-in-law died, uh, died recently and had left her trust as a beneficiary to her IRA rather than uh, the children. Uh, and, of course, when it went into the trust, monies went into the trust that came back to uh, the, the uh, beneficiaries of the trust as taxable income. Uh, should she have made uh, the children direct beneficiaries of her IRA instead? Well, it depends on the type of trust that's being used. We have what are called stretch trusts that we use all the time that are designated beneficiary of IRA assets and have no problem receiving those accounts and using the child's life as the measuring life for the IRA account. In this case, it sounds like the trust was not a stretch trust, which triggered no, it wasn't. Yeah, it triggered the tax. So, yes, in that situation, it would have been better just to give it directly to the beneficiaries. Yeah. Okay. The other quick question I had, our, tax, uh, our trust attorney had suggested that we not put our home in a trust. What, what are your uh, suggestions on that? Well, the only reason not to put the home in the trust is if you're qualifying for Medicaid because Medicaid will allow the home to be exempt in the event you apply, but if it's in a trust, then it's not exempt. Otherwise, if you're not applying for Medicaid or TenCare, I don't see any reason why you wouldn't put it in the trust, especially if the trust is, is properly written. So it's, from a tax perspective, a grantor trust, mm-hmm. which means okay. that if you ever sell the home, you can still take advantage of the capital gain exclusion that you have if you're an individual owner. That's the 250 okay. or 500, so- yeah. Mm-hmm. But once the trust becomes irrevocable and the house is sold, I know there's a step up in basis. Uh, if uh, if the house, uh, trying to ask a question, if if the house was, uh, uh, how how could someone take advantage of the exclusion on capital gains if it was outside? I guess it had to be outside the trust. I guess. Is what I'm well, I mean, you, question, you I automatically individuals. A married couple gets a five hundred thousand dollar exclusion, and a single person gets a two hundred fifty thousand dollar exclusion if it's your primary home. Yeah, but when it goes into the trust and and is uh, distributed to the beneficiaries, that well comes out of the picture, though, right? Right. Then you have the step up in basis, so you still get yeah. some of a better deal sometimes, but at least as good a deal. Yes, that comes out. Of, you're okay. Right. All right. Okay. Uh, all right. That's answer my question. Thank, Thank you very much. Thanks, Bob. Appreciate yeah, it. Bye. All right. Let's see what we have from Jim. Hey, Jim. Jim, you around? Oh, yes, I'm here. How you doing, bud? What can I do for you? Uh, well, I've got a, actually it's a short-term capital gains loss question. I don't okay. have a wills or trust question for you. No problem. That's right. Um, well, I'll take the this, question. Uh, I, I had a short-term uh, loss between 2010 and 2013 of around 180000 Mm-hmm. And then uh, at that time I was married, I got divorced, I got remarried, and two years ago when we filed joint tax return, uh, we, I had another loss, which was about 8000 and we did our taxes and took the short-term loss for that. And this year I'm using, I actually have lost the computer that I had all my old tax returns on, and it's only carrying forward about 3000 well, about $2,700 in the short-term loss. 
uh, from when I filed last year. Uh, so I'm wanting to know how do I go back and, and you know show the IRS that I had that hundred and eighty thousand dollar loss from 2010-2013, or is there a cutoff for that loss? Well, there is, but it's like 20 years, so you haven't hit that oh. at this point. But you would need to go back and get copies of those tax returns, um, and then you would have to carry it forward, you know, and then. I guess we'd have to see if it's a split because if it was jointly held, theoretically, you said you were divorced, so your wife may have taken half of that divo- uh, half of that loss carry forward, or ex-wife at that point, and you may have only gotten half of it. So, you know, if that was a joint return, you would only have been entitled to half unless the stock was only under your name. I don't know. Well, I think what I, I I think what I did the year after we were divorced, I filed, and I didn't show anything on my uh, tax return to carry it forward. Right, so that's why you uh, need to go back to 14 then theoretically or 13, get a copy uh-huh. of it, and then go ahead and amend it. Do an amended return for each year and go ahead and take it because you miss $3,000 every year possibly. You may have gotten a loss from other things, so you may be just not had it. Right. But either way, you, you're going to go back three years and get refunds, but you would need to go back 14, 15, 16, 17 and, uh, and get them all corrected so that way the, the basis is moving forward or the loss oh, carry forward. Okay, so I'm, am I hearing you correctly to, to actually carry it forward to, for this year or, you, you know, have to go back to the year, year in which I've you missed it and put it back. You've got to amend all of them so the government can track it, yes. Oh, okay. Okay, well, that answered my question. No worries. Thanks. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. So, uh, you know, Bob touched on it a little bit. I think you've touched on it, but I think people need to understand. So, Step up in basis a little bit. Maybe explain a little bit more about what that means because we say those words a lot of times, but it may not mean a thing to most of my listeners. <laughs> <laughs> well, step up in basis is when the government allows you to take the cost basis of an asset that you own and step it up to the value that asset has when you die. So if you have a stock that you bought at 10 bucks and you pass away and you own it, it's in your estate for estate tax purposes, and it's worth 20 bucks. then you can take that $10 cost basis, what you bought it for, and move it up to 20 bucks, which is the day-to-death value. And it's something that people don't necessarily understand. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's not an easy thing to do. But if there's one takeaway, always at the time of passing, get a valuation on all assets that the decedent owns so that in the event any one or more of those assets are sold, then you can use that new value as the basis for those assets. So that is important. And then just to... Can you pick the phone up? Okay. You got, Keep going. You're going. Um, the other thing, just to dovetail on the last caller, whenever you go through a divorce, that is another opportunity to have your estate planning reviewed because there are some things that the divorce takes care of. If you uh, have a will that divorce says, well, the wife's written out automatically, but it may not be set up the way you want based on just what the government says happens when you uh, get divorced. And there are some other things that do not change. We've had plenty of situations where a uh, husband gets divorced, remarries, but does not change the beneficiary. I was going to have you tell IRAs that story a little bit. And then you end up at the death of the new – at the husband, the new spouse finding out that the ex-spouse is getting all the IRA and 401k monies. 
that is not a good scene. <laughs> and, again, he's gone. He's not going to be there. But I am pretty darn <laughs> sure that that was not always the plan. And no. I remember you telling more than one of those stories. Where yes. And it's the same. Also, you have to be careful with joint accounts because we've mentioned this time and time again. Whenever you put someone's name on your account, because yeah. some people think, hey, I'll just avoid probate. I'll make everything joint. I have beneficiary designations. Well, I don't need any of this stuff. Well, just know that if you put someone's name on an account, that means they own it just as much as you do. So if they go through a divorce or if they get in a bankruptcy, and I've had this happen, the bankruptcy trustee will go in and take all your money. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing you can do about it because you put their name on the account. Right. And, that, and I have a, quite a few clients because they'll come in and they'll say, I'm going to put my daughter's name on the account so that she can help write checks or take care because they're thinking that's the best way for her to have the power to take care of me if something comes up. But like you said, we both have seen more than once. I've had IRS issues where they have sweeped the bank accounts of, of people, children and, and other mm-hmm. things where the parents have had the name on those accounts. And it's really, really hard to get that money back to prove it wasn't their money or whatever else that um, that comes up. So that's really important. But they can do that through a POA, a power of attorney, power of attorney. right? Yes. So I always counsel clients, take your child's name off your account, sign a financial power of attorney, naming your child as the person that can manage your financial assets, give that power of attorney copy to the bank and that will do exactly what you wanted to accomplish by putting their name on the account without all of that exposure. Right. And that's that's huge because last thing you want is someone taking your money. All right, let's get James before we take the break. Hey James. Oh, hey. Uh my my question is uh my mother has an annuity. Uh she is the owner, I am the beneficiary. I'm an only child. My dad's been dead for about 30 years. Um, uh, is that okay like that, or should I be the owner of it? Does it matter? Yeah, it matters. Russ. Yeah, it does matter. She would just keep it the way you currently have it. When she passes as beneficiary, you'll receive that asset outside of any probate proceeding. Now, there may be some income tax when you get it. Just know that a portion of an annuity does have tax associated with it, but that's, you know, that's just the nature of annuities. Right. And that's one of them that you're not going to get the step up of basis yes. like an IRA or an annuity. Those that's why probably doing the direct P, uh, paid beneficiary right. paid out or whatever is just mm-hmm. good. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not an IRA. It's just a, just a, an annuity. Right. Yeah. But it'll still have some tax consequences, even though a lot of times annuities pay out the, the interest first. But normally a portion of it that she gets will all have, you know, you'll inherit part of uh, a taxable growth that's happened. But it's better just leave uh, her as an owner and me as a beneficiary. That's correct. You okay. got it. All right. Thanks, Thanks. James. Mm-hmm. All right. Appreciate We're going to take another quick break here. You can join us live in studio, 615-737-9986, 615-737-9986. We'll be right back. <laughs> Dr. Friday, I'm an enrolled agent, licensed with the Internal Revenue Service to do taxes and representation. That is really all I do. It's pretty sad. It's pretty solid life. But, you know, Russ, on the other hand, he's a little bit more of a multitasker. You know, he covers a law. He talks taxes. 
Well, it's you a know. state and business planning, so there I guess I'm just as pigeonholed as you are. That's <laughs> right. That's why it takes two of us to do the show. That's no. right. Uh, so if you want to join us, 615-737-9986. Let's go to the phones. Hey, Jane. How are you doing, sweetie? Uh, I'm doing well. Uh, I guess this question is for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, we have an S-Corp that owns a... Uh, rental property, a commercial rental property, and there are uh, four shares in this corporation. And how can we pass that? Can we pass that to our children at our desk? Yes. Our share? Good question. Yeah, usually unless there's a document called a uh, shareholders or uh, buy-sell agreement that might affect the shares, you okay, can... That, uh, that has – we have uh, taken steps to cancel that out. Okay. And, okay. and everybody has signed off on that. Okay. Well, as long as that is gone, then, yes, you can transfer your shares to whomever you wish, either through your will or a revocable living trust, and it should be perfectly fine. Now, um, I'm not going to go too far on this, but if you're – passing the shares to a trust for a beneficiary, then it has to be a special type of trust that can hold sub-S stock. Um, But in any event, if it's going directly to someone outright, then you're fine. You can do that through your will or revocable living trust. Would they get the step-up in basis if they inherit it? Yes, they would. You would revalue the stock using a revaluation of the asset inside the company so you get an appraisal of the commercial building, and then your share of it would be subject to a step-up. And um, there are other rules with respect to how you could recapture that if the building sold. But in any event, you would definitely get that step-up. Okay. Very good. And now the revocable, uh, the, uh, revocable trust, uh, something has happened to me in – this past year, I, my grandchildren are older, and then all of a sudden, I have a new grandchild. So, do uh, you have any words of wisdom on that? Well, congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, 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 mel- I melted in tears of joy. <laughs> oh, well, good for you. I know that was definitely a, a very emotional time, so I'm, I'm happy well, for you. But what, what I'm, I'm, yeah. want to, I want to take care of my children who are, are in college now, uh-huh. but then here we've got one 18 years down the line. Uh-huh. Uh, so what uh, do you have any suggestions for well, what I do for that? What I'd suggest, you mentioned you already have a revocable trust, or if you... No, I don't. No, I don't. I'm, okay. I'm, Looking into I'm asking about it. Uh, yeah. I would... Uh, Schedule an appointment with a board-certified estate planning attorney. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> pitching me. And uh, you would basically sit down, tell them how you want your estate to be distributed, and we could take into – or the attorney you hire could take into account all your different wishes. Uh, some folks create what are called grandchildren educational trusts if they want to set aside money directly – for the benefit of grandkids to pay for edge college education or something like that. Um, they can also set up trusts or make outright distribution to their kids. Uh, there's lots of different things that you can do to take care of your family through the, 
revocable living trust. Yeah, because in, in that case, I'm thinking you're probably going to want, depending on obviously how long you live, but I, my opinion would be you want to have a trust for that younger one because you don't want them at 18, as we have talked at the beginning of the show, you know, God forbid to inherit a big chunk of money at that it, age. So it, Exactly. Yeah. What I had before was a um, trust within my will, and they get grandkids get through school, and then at 30, they get the money. That's what uh, I think. If there's any left. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm very aware of don't let young kids have money. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's a great idea. I think you're on the right. But you, you probably need to sit down with an attorney. Just for one, it sounds like you've had some changes because I know myself, I just actually sat down with Russ. That's why I dragged him in here because I, I forget to sit down every few years, and I've had a big change, several of them in the last five years. So – you know, you've mm-hmm. got, you know, you need to reevaluate at least, what, every three to five years, Russ, yes. probably, yes. unless there's something bigger that's happened. And then with this S-Corp, it sounds like there's maybe something special on top of this that needs to be done so that it can prosper, uh, transfer properly to who she wants it to. Yeah, I was going to actually address that. The S-Corp stock, you would probably want to set up so that whoever's in charge of it would be the person uh, making the decisions with respect to the S-Corp stock, but yet the beneficiaries, and this would be in a trust, could then profit from whatever amounts were distributed through that S-Company. Mm-hmm. And where are you located, Russ? In Brentwood. Brentwood, okay. Yeah, uh, you it, can go to our website, uh, russcoppc.com, or 370-2444 is the phone number, 615. Uh, say that again. 615. I wasn't writing quick enough. Okay. 615. 615. 370. Okay. 2444. Two, two, four, four, four. Okay. Thank you very much. I've had changes. That's why uh, my sister and I came into you because of what's happened in our life. And, you know, two adults living together that are siblings, a um, little different than I ever had to affect. So poor Russ is like, okay, yeah, but you, you've dealt with a lot of these things. You know how to deal with people who have stock and corporations or they have a lot of property. And a lot of it's held by siblings. Then something happens to that sibling and then they want to, you know what I'm saying? It, it's a family line. I mean, um, it it's it's not it gets more complicated as we get a little older it seems like is i'm creating a lot of complications it seems like i've got this one with these siblings and this one with this sibling and you know you don't think about what will happen to it but you do need to i mean i guess that's what the point is i mean you need to sit down as much as it's uncomfortable to think about we're not going to always be here but you've worked hard as individuals we've all you know we got something if you don't have a plan the state has the plan and i guarantee you it's not the plan we want. That's so, right. You know. And and one thing that I've seen is that sometimes these meetings we have prompt conversations among all the family members. Yeah. Like, for instance, when we're talking about uh, companies owned by multiple family members, we start asking questions. Okay, where do you want this stock to go? Can this go to your wife? Suddenly you're going back to the other family members and they're like, well, wait a minute. This is what we really meant. This is what – so sometimes those conversations can then kind of work them work their way out into the rest of the family, and we can get a more cohesive plan put in place. And that's good because you were mentioning – you may have to repeat yourself, but you said there was something uh, Jane was saying about the S-corporation. Was there or wasn't there something you were saying, some sort of stock 
Yeah, the S corporation is a way of having a company where you pass through the profits to the individuals. And there are only certain types of trusts that can actually own S corp stock. And so when you're passing assets down, you want to make sure that whoever's doing it is doing it in a tax advantaged way. We have seen situations where a person dies. They didn't do the proper planning with S corp stock. It terminated the S corp election. And then the rest into a C corporation. So everybody else for everybody, not just the person that the Ah. heirs of the person that died. That's where you have that big family conversation because last thing you want to do is lose that pass through. Then you're in a double taxation situation or or whatever. So yeah, so so you you could also evaluate uh, Mm -hmm. bylaws or membership agreements from LLCs and corporations, right? Yes, yeah, that's part of it. Or establish establish business plans for for exit plans. Do you do all that too? Yeah. Yeah. We're we're usually dovetailing that into the estate planning because we find that clients, when they start looking at all these different issues, those are the ones that come up that they hadn't really thought about. How does this company go to my family? What about a person that's in the company, a family member and, and the ones that aren't? Yeah. How do we deal with that? How do we deal with the fact that there's nobody in my family that's in the company? How do we get a buyer for it? in order to make sure that there's value there. But what if it, you, you're fine with the family? It's just that if that one passes away, you don't want to necessarily deal with their extended family. Their That's side, right. right. So the wife or their kids. Yeah. Because, you know, I'm just saying you get along great with your brother or your sister, but, you know, maybe you don't want to have to deal with the husband afterwards because yeah. I've had a couple clients and that's kind of been, you know, the, the four sibs put something or five and then next thing you know, one passes away, the husband steps in and then mm-hmm. that becomes a problem because – he wants to sell. He wants to yeah. get out. He wants the money. And obviously that wasn't the overall plan, so and then it becomes it, a problem. Exactly. And then it gets worse when the surviving husband remarries a new wife and oh gosh, then suddenly that. you got new personalities at play here. Yes. Yeah, it's all And there crazy are ways good. of protecting yourself yes. against that. Okay. That's that's good to know. We may have to have more conversation. <laughs> all right. We're gonna take our last break before this. If you wanna join us, six one five seven three seven nine nine eight six six one five seven three seven nine nine eight six. If you don't get a chance to get on the show, remember you can go to the web, RussCookPC.com. Check him out. His phone number and address. He's just around the corner from my office, 615-370-2444. You can call him Monday morning, just like me, and a lot of people working on the weekends there. All right, so one more time here live in studio. If you want to reach us, last time, a few minutes, 615-737-9986. We'll be right back. Friday. <laughs> I'm here with Russ Cook, attorney, um, and he is board certified, a state attorney, right? Yes, so that is important because there's only a handful of you guys actually in the state, if I understand correctly. That's right. So, That's right. And, you know, and Russ and I have been working together for, goodness, a number of years. Um, let's just stop at that. We don't really have to have numbers <laughs> any right. longer. <laughs> we don't label ourselves. Get to a point, you know, we're old enough to know better, still young enough yes. to enjoy it. Um, so, uh, but when, you, when you're trying to think about what you need to do, what are the, I mean, you mentioned earlier, but let's repeat, what are the, if I were to just go in and say, hey, I need to have this done, what are the, fi- you guys are waiting for five essential documents or something like that? Is it four yes. essential? Whatever it is. Well, 
the documents you really want as part of your estate plan is a will, power of attorney for financial matters, power of attorney for health care matters, and a living will. And again, if you want to avoid the probate process, then you would couple that with a revocable living trust, which is, uh, uh, again, the document that you use to transition your assets. If you don't want to avoid probate, you like probate, it's a great deal for you, then <laughs> you can just go with the four essential documents, which is the will, the power attorney, power attorney for health care, and the living will. Now, there is something else called an advance directive that you can download from somewhere on the Tennessee sector state website Uh that gives you a very specific uh, choices on how you want to handle your end-of-life decisions. It's morbid, but it's great. (laughs) Easy reading for a Saturday night, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) We know where Russ is hanging out. That's right. So um, when when someone is looking for someone, do you put the same person on – I mean, can you, you do you usually put the same person on the beneficiary is also the executor, which is also the person that's going to take care of my finance, which is also going to be the one that takes care of my uh, what a health, Medicare or health care or whatever you said? Mm-hmm. I mean, is that typical or do you usually? Well, the roles are really have different purposes. So it just depends on the person you select. Some people just load up on one person, have them doing everything, but it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. The executor and trustee pretty much share the same task. They're the ones in charge of taking your assets after you pass, pay your final debts and expenses, and then transition those assets to your beneficiaries. The trustee's job may last a little longer if you're allowing the trust to continue on for beneficiaries after you've died. Uh, The power of attorney for financial matters, it's really the same person doing the same task that an executor or trustee does, but does it for you while you're living. Mm-hmm. And then the healthcare power of attorney is someone that you designate to make healthcare decisions. Sometimes those will be two separate people because one has the heart, one has the head. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, that's, that's so something that's all depends on family dynamics. Remember, when you're picking somebody, don't think of it as a favor in picking them because <laughs> – it, it may is never a job. turn out to be a favor. Yes, it is no. a job. I'm not saying they wouldn't take it on, but I get a lot of folks that say, well, if I don't put this person in, they'll feel really bad. Well, I think once they realize what's involved, they're not going to feel so bad if yeah. they're not in it. I'm not saying to not include them in the include them in them everything, a, yeah. but just go in and picking the best person. And when clients say to me, well, you know, grandma and grandpa are getting along, you know, there'll be 90, you know, right. 20 years from now. I always ask, tell the clients, pick the best person today. If you pass today, who would be that person you want doing these these tasks? And then in five years or two years, if that doesn't work, come back in and we can revise things. That's right. really what's important. And th- I think that's important because, I, I mean, a lot of times – and it's a hard decision. And Now, do you suggest they tell the person that they're going to be listed as that thing or do you just surprise them when it happens? <laughs> well, I give the – clients the option obviously of doing it based on how they feel it's going to be received i think the people you name on your financial and power attorney for health care you'd certainly want to let them know because they may be doing that job tomorrow if you get in a car accident (laughs) um the the trustee and executor you know that's up to you i think as the client gets older then i'll bring in those you know, tell them to to let those people know what their tasks are going to be because there's less likely that they're going to change who those people are. Um, but, you know, early on, maybe they want to hold closer to the vest. That's fine. But, yes, yeah, certainly as the clients get older and the 
the fact that, you know, this implementing these documents is becoming more of an issue, <laughs> then yes, you want to let those people know what they're doing so they can step in if they need to. Yeah, I was just debating if I should mention anyone doing it or not. I thought, well, maybe once I'm gone, I don't have to worry about telling them. Well, you're 20 out. years old, so <laughs> you got plenty you go. of years. Yeah. I wouldn't worry about I it. I love it. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> Russ, it makes you 25, so let's that's see. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right, so if you... um. Again, if you have questions, maybe you're just sitting here and you're thinking, well, I don't really know if a trust is right or if I, I mean, no matter what, you need a decent will. And I will tell you, when I first started, when I was in my 20s, I went to LegalZoom, downloaded a trust and a will because I think that's when I first met um, somebody that told me, oh, you got to have these things or whatever. And then um, then probably about 20 years ago, 15, 20 years ago, I went to Russ the first time and he basically took those and created the right language because that was the biggest thing he basically pointed out to me is that the language in those particular ones weren't up to date for one and if something had happened it wasn't going to live up to uh, how important right i mean someone can take a napkin and put their will on it but if it's worded wrong if it just says because you've always used some pretty cool examples but something like you know it says all all money or all funds will go here or something and so it doesn't necessarily mean money and therefore they can argue that that she meant you know something different or yeah i did have a case where the client who had passed write their wrote their own will and basically said i want no monies going to these people well that was interpreted just to mean monies, and everyone thought, well, she meant none of her estate, but all of her estate was real estate. And so the people that were supposed to have been cut out came in and argued that, no, they weren't because it only said the word monies. to the monies. Right. Um, I remember I, that. And I'm, you know, I'm okay with self-help. Just be careful whenever you go on LegalZoom or any of those websites because you're basically having to answer questions that are – not necessarily answered in the way you think. And we've had situations where people have used the wrong forms. I've had single people use married couple forms. I've Mm -hmm. had people use forms they thought were going to get them a revocable trust, but then the trust terminated when they died and everything went into their estate. And Oh, that'd be painful. Yeah. And there was a lot of sort of, and I'm not saying, you know, these are people that are very successful business-wise. They're not like dumb yeah, in but, any sense. but I mean, like just, myself, I'm not I'm not a legal person, yeah. right? I mean, if you give me a tax return, I can look it over, I can tell you what I know, whatever. But when it comes to legal documents, just like that, I would have interpreted as mean she do she one of those people disinherited. But instead mm-hmm. of saying disinherited all completely, she used a term that a lot of us would have thought. But yeah. that's the point. And of course, lawyers are good at that too. Let's yeah, be well, honest; they can read between the lines and say, "Oh, but." This says this word only, and we're looking at the real estate. So you're fine. No problem, you know. Yeah. Um, so that's why it probably is. Even if you're a small business owner and you have partners or if you um, aren't in business with yourself, just by yourself, um, I would always suggest taking your bylaws or your your LLC agreements because it's not so much that you're not getting along, but what happens if something happens to you. That's always my concern because it doesn't always word What's going to happen to your share, especially if it's two friends in business together or, you know, whatever. And I, I think it wouldn't hurt to make sure you have an exit plan or you can end leaving your family without uh, the asset that you've been building. I've seen a couple where people have had that situation. Mm-hmm. All righty. So, again, if you want to reach Russ, my boy Russ, 615-370-2444, 615 
3702444 or really easy just russcookpc.com um, and you can get all of his information off there, set up appointment, and go have a chit-chat with him. If you can't find him for some reason, he's lost, or you just want to reach me, <laughs> you never know. You can reach me on Monday morning. Even though it's a holiday, I will be working. 615-367-0819. 615-367-0815. You can uh, drfriday.com. That's drfriday.com or email friday at drfriday.com. Russ, thank you. Thank Take you. Take your time on a Saturday. Me on. Getting out there, having some fun. And so then when we get back next Saturday, we'll be talking more about taxes and business and all those fun things. It's, uh, you know, March 15th, big deadline for all corporations, LLCs, partnerships. If you haven't filed your... Uh, your fonts with the state of Tennessee. You need to get that filed uh, for the next year. So you have uh, the exclusion, and we can talk more about that. It's a little teaser. A little teaser for next week. All right. We're going to be, uh, be next Saturday. Copulator. <laughs>